What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus for and by queer folks of color. I am Money, the menstrual cup collector. <laughs> wow. That's a good I, one. I got like nine of them. <laughs> I didn't know you had that many. Yeah. And I am Nikita, and I am your cookout cutie. Oh, you are? Yeah, so... Because y'all organized the fuck out of that Black August cookout. Yeah, so uh, I'm a member of the local chapter of Black Lives Matter here, and I'm just so proud of us. We had an amazing cookout. You know, the racists tried to come for us, and the rain tried to come for us, but we were deterred by neither. (laughs) So I'm just really proud of that. And we had a very good turnout. So many Mm -hmm. cute little kids out there just playing. You know, we were just building community. And it was like an organizer's dream because people were like, how can I get on the sign-up list? Yes. You know, yeah. I'm like, that's when you know that you've done something well, right? When people mm-hmm. are like, I Chasing hope this isn't the last thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. Cookout cutie. So proud of y'all. Thank you. I'm so glad you were there too, Money. Of course, you know I was going to show up when when the white fi- people started popping off on Facebook. I was yeah. like, oh! I oh, will, I will, oh, back. <laughs> I back. will be in attendance. Right. <laughs> All right, let's get into the intro. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sister, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, I love you. you love, hey. I hope you hear that on the daily, All right, Nikita, so before we jump into this episode, we have two events to plug. What are those events, money? I thought you were going to say. Oh. Okay, well, I'll do the first one and you do the second one. How about that? We'll this, split yes, it. yes, yes. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, so the first event is um, actually brought to you by our homies at Earn a Whole Uprising. Shout out to the hoes. Uh, and it's their monthly sex trivia Sundays, hosted by the hoes, sponsored by Babeland. It is at Love Story Bar uh, in Brooklyn. So if you are in and or around New York City, go head over there and check them out. It starts at 5 o'clock on Sunday, September 1st. Um, and we'll put the link so that you can RSVP in the description and go have fun. Yes. Because trivia is fun. Drinking is fun for some. And sex is fun for some. So you put all three together. You got a good time. You're going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah. And the hoes are fun. Oh, oh yeah, of course. And so. uh, nerds and all kind of things. Yeah, so, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Go on over or come on over, uh, as they would say, and have a good time at... Sex trivia with the hoes. Alrighty. So if you're listening to this and you did not register for the Queer Walk Upstate Escape, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> but 
So it doesn't mean that you can't attend. It just means that we will not be able to cover your entry into the different events that we're doing. But we're going to have a really good time. And no event is exorbitant in terms of price. Mm -hmm. So just to give an overview of what we are going to be doing that weekend. So it's all going to start August 30th right here in Syracuse. And our first event is going to be a denim party at the Community Folk Arts Center. And we're going to have a link to all of the the details and the addresses, but I'm just going to give you a quick overview. So, like I said, the denim party, which is going to be a lot of fun. So, wear your best denim. Denim fits. Come through. Looking cute. Please do. And then the Saturday, we are going to go. This is, I'm really excited about this. We are going to go to Green Lake State Park. It's such a cute, wonderful, just beautiful little spot. Mm. A little gem here in upstate New York, here in Syracuse. And as the name suggests, there is a lake. So please, if you feel so inclined, bring a water-friendly outfit. And And some sensible shoes. And sensible shoes. (laughs) Exactly. And so then later on, right after that, so we're going to go to Green Lakes at 11 and then starting at 3 p.m. I'm also very excited about this. We are going to be having a closed Cutie Pop mixer, and that is going to be at the Sankofa Cafe. And as we have said in the past, this is such an important community space, uh, especially for black folks who live here on the south side. Um, Syracuse is a place, just like, unfortunately, many other cities that's experiencing rampant gentrification. So it's going to be hard for black folks, working class folks to hold on to any sort of community space. So we're doing the Cutie Pot Mixer there, and it's a fundraiser, and the proceeds will go to Cafe Sankofa. So you're going to get to mix and mingle with queer POC and, you know, do your part for the cause. Yeah. So the, just an insert, the denim party is open. Everybody can come to the denim right. party as long as you got on your, like, best denim outfit money a la early 2000s. Money will probably be checking at the door. I will. And I will be shading you if you're not wearing <laughs> denim. Anyway. <laughs> but the Q-Pop mixer is closed. Closed. And then after, you're like, oh my gosh, there's more. Yes, there is. There's more. It's a whole weekend of events. It's events. a whole weekend. It's we so, told y'all to RSVP. <laughs> and so um, that night, we are going to flood the club at Wonder Bar, a cute little new queer spot here in Syracuse. And Black Cues Pride, another organization here in town that uplifts and supports queer and trans people of color, uh, they have brought in a DJ, DJ Bella, who is a black queer DJ. So we're going to go hear some tunes and some jams from we're a black hear queer. Bops, Nikita? Uh, potato, potato. <laughs> and then after, so the next day, Sunday. I was about to say, after. No, no, no. <laughs> After the club? You're going to take your ass to bed so you can be refreshed <laughs> for Sunday where we are going to have a brunch. And this is going to be at one of my personal favorite spots, a place where I spent a significant amount of my time. Mm-hmm. The Syracuse Center for Peace and Social Justice. It's home to a lot of movement organizations. We're going to have brunch there at 11. And then we're going to head on over to the New York State Fair where we are going to especially hear the luxurious sounds of Sheila E. and The Roots later on that evening. So, we have a jam-packed weekend. Mm-hmm. 
And we just can't wait to see all of your faces. Thank you to everyone who has RSVP'd. Um, like we've been asking, please uh, just, we send out an email with the itinerary. And we just want to make sure, um, we want to know how you all are getting here. Because we're trying to arrange transportations mm -hmm. for everybody. So let us know how you're getting here and where you're staying. We look forward to seeing all of your wonderful, beautiful, glorious faces. That's right. And again, if you did not RSVP, it doesn't mean you can't come through. It just means that we can't guarantee that we cover cover your stuff. So you can still come, but you'll have to pay your like entrance fee to yep. things. Um, and if you can't come, but you are so excited hearing about this weekend that we've planned for queer folks of color in upstate, you can give us a donation so that it can be even more lit at Cash App. Dollar sign Queer Walk Pod. All right, Nikita, you want to tell folks where they can find us? You know I live to do this. So you can find us on these social meds streets. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter where our handle is at Queer Walk Pod. That's P-O-D. You can also find us right along with the rest of the old folks on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash queer W-O-C-P-O-D. You can also find us on Tumblr. Queerwalk.com, and that's where it all started. And maybe you're like, huh, I, you know, you're hanging out with your friend, they're listening to us in the car. You're like, how can I listen to this wonderful insurgent bi weekly audio syllabus? <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad you asked. You can listen to this on Pocket Cast, Castbox, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And all the other major places. Right, right, right. <laughs> all right. And so, money. Mm -hmm. I have told people where and how they can find us. Mm -hmm. Once they become listeners and once they get involved in this community, right. how can they contribute to this here community money? All right. Well, y'all can contribute to this here community one of two ways. The first way is giving us your coin. So you can do that by hitting us off one time for the one time at the Cash App Dollar sign queer walk pod. Again, that's the cash app is dollar sign queer walk pod. That's just a once thank you for what y'all do and help keep the uh, the laptop going because it currently has electrical tape on it. So <laughs> if you would like to contribute on that front. The second way that you can contribute monetarily is by becoming a sustainer. So this is a little more commitment way of doing um, a money donation. And you can do that by becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D. Now we have some levels of suggestions for how much you can give, but you can give as much or as little as you can manage monthly. And we understand if you have to pause a month, skip a month, you know, head on over and become a patron if you can. The next way that y'all can support this here community is by loving us out loud and doing the R's. Yes, I love the R's. <laughs> you can rate us on whatever platform that you're listening on. Review us. That's when you take the time to actually type out a thoughtful message. Repost the episode. Request a topic. Um, retweet an episode. Reply to us. Use the hashtag QueerWOC or hashtag QueerWOCPOD on all the things to talk to us or to, um, to let others know that you're listening. 
send us an email. Um, you might want to submit a Queer Walk of the Week or um, a, a Curve Chronicle. Curve Chronicle, yes. Topic also. Um, queerwalkpod at gmail.com. All right. And that's it. Well, you can comment on our, like, Instagrams, too, because... And tell us how cute we are. I know. We really be, we be pushing through on Instagram. <laughs> All righty. At Better Than Money. <laughs> wow. You're just... That... I'm going to edit that out. No, you're not. So, Money. Mm-hmm. Do you want to move it on along to the... Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk. Of, of the, the week. week segment? Of course I do. That was nice. <laughs> that, was nice. <laughs> that was smooth. Right? I was going to shade you, but that was good. I know it was good. All right. So I'm going to do the Queer Walk of the Week this week. So Queer Walk of the Week Damn. this week Who is, is it? Who is it? Who is it? Japanese American tattooed lesbian mechanic turned supermodel turned mechanic again turned modeling agent <laughs> turned bad bitch Jenny Shimizu. Wow. I know. Okay, wait. Wow, money just took her glasses off. This is serious. This is square biz right here. Serious business. You gotta stop. Square biz is not gonna come back. It's coming Nikki. back. I'm bringing it back. Anyway, um, so I had to take my glasses off because you know who Jenny Shimizu is, even if you don't know her name, because her Calvin Klein campaign. Iconic. Iconic. Trailblazing. Groundbreaking. Okay, so I'm going to just tell y'all a little bit about Jenny. So Jenny, uh, again, like I said, is a Japanese-American supermodel, actress, mechanic, does all the things. Um, I just, I I love how that has become a theme for the Queer Walks and Queer Pox for uh, 2019. What's the theme? They have all of these, like... Multifaceted. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Like you, like these technical careers, yeah, yeah, yeah. but also these creative careers. Uh-huh. So, Jenny was born and raised in California. She attended Cal State University on a basketball scholarship. And I just had to put in the notes that she's 5'6". I don't know why you needed to note that. Because I think it's important uh, for people who are below, like, 5'9", who break out um, and become supermodels. And also also as basketball stars. Fair enough. So, to go to college on a basketball scholarship at 5'6", I think is a... It's a it's a feat. Okay, I thought you were gonna shade a short. A I was I was celebrating the I short representation. That. I appreciate that. Okay, which I don't do often. You don't. Um, but Jenny deserves. So after graduating from college, she opened her own car garage in Los Angeles. Oh, that's amazing. Where she worked as a mechanic and eventually got discovered by a Calvin Klein scout who came to get their car worked on. I was wondering. Okay. <laughs> So, she's known as, like, the queer underwear, like, trailblazer. Trailblazer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, like, now, I think we have all these examples of, it, particularly, like, masculine folks, masculine queer folks of color modeling, like, underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the first. She's, you know? yeah, <laughs> like, that's so yeah. important. Thank and, you. And I think, um, in the time, right, so this is early 90s. Yeah. Like, to ha- Calvin Klein was, like, that bitch. Kind of, right, right, in a lot right. of ways, still kind of is when uh-huh. it comes to underwear. Sure. So, to have, like, a Japanese-American out lesbian woman. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, like, it was, like, yeah, it was, like. 
Um, and so, obviously, she started her modeling career with Calvin Klein. She got signed to model their underwear and was later featured by various designers um, and so many magazines, y'all, um, including Versace. Um, she was on the cover of Italian Vogue. Uh, her images appear in, like, art exhibits. Uh, pictures of her have been in, like, books and magazines around the world. And in 1993, she sort of broke out and first ap appeared in video form in a Madonna video. Huh. Why Madonna be all up and through the queer walk, queer pop history? I don't know. I've hated Madonna since I was Fucking five years old. culture vulture. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Jenny was in Madonna's video for Rain. Following that, she starred in a few independent movies here and there, most notably Foxfire in 1996, uh, where she starred alongside her then-girlfriend, Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. Yep, I remember that movie. Uh, you remember that movie and that couple because... I do, yeah. Yeah, because when I was like, oh, I want to do Jenny Shimizu for Queer Walk of the Week, you were like, oh, she dated Angelina yeah. Jolie. Yeah, so yes, that movie, mm-hmm. Um, she was also in a movie called Itty Bitty Titty Committee in 2007. Uh, so Jenny has also been on television. Um, she starred in a series called Dante's Cove. And um, guests appeared on an episode of Ellen back when Ellen had a sitcom. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as appearing on like different reality shows as guest judges. Such as like RuPaul's Drag Race, America's Next Top Model, and Make Me a Supermodel. Jenny has been ranked on various lists of, like, powerful and influential um, Asian Americans and Asian American uh, women, influential women, um, influential Asian folks in Hollywood. Essentially, yeah. all the lists right. uh, Jenny has been highlighted on. Um, Glisten actually has a, um Asian Pacific Islander, like... Um, a AAPI to know um, list uh -huh. and she's number one on the list yeah. so that's, that gives, tells you like you know Jenny's been on her shit and like has really done a lot to open up spaces for masculine presenting yep, yep, uh, yep. queer women for folks of color all that oh and in 2016 she received the lesbian icon award don't you want the lesbian icon yeah, award I'm like, how do I get that <laughs> At the Long Beach LGBT Center Gala. I guess you got to uh, model some underwear. Wow. Open up your own car garage. Well, I can, I can, I can, I can do both of those. <laughs> so you campaigning for um, the, what, 20, 2026? I, 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 I need some Let's time to enhance my mechanical skills, but <laughs> give me 10 years. All right, all right. So Nikita for Lesbian Icon 2029? Yes. Uh, 2029. 20, <laughs> well, in the meantime, we're going to celebrate. We're going to give our flowers to uh, <laughs> Jenny. <laughs> we're going to celebrate the excellence that is Jenny Sumitsu. And I'm pretty sure that I left out a whole bunch right. of accomplishments. I mean, her her career alone spans over 30 years. I just picked out, like, these highlights. Uh, if y'all know other bomb-ass shit that she's done, please throw it in the hashtag QueerWalk. Uh, and also, do yourself a favor and Google her. You will see, I'm sure y'all will recognize some of her iconic photos. Uh, like, there's there's one, she's like, doesn't have a shirt on. She has, like, the lipstick over her shoulder. And it looks like it's really heavy. It's like this, oh, this I play see. on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, yeah. I see. It's like this play on, I can't remember what image that is. But it looks like, you know, like a... Uh, 
Uh, it looks like she's working. carrying some like heavy, heavy, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's lipstick. Uh-huh. Uh, that I know that's a that's a really circulated picture on Tumblr. Yeah, so y'all just uh, Google her. Um, I'm gonna put her Instagram in the description. And yes, uplift and shout out Jenny. And I'm, you know, again, it also feels good to celebrate them while they're here. So absolutely, yeah. Oh, I'm also gonna put a link uh, more about like how she blazed the way for like queer women in underwear modeling in the description too. Ooh. So yeah, the lingerie addict wrote uh, um like a piece on her. That's so fantastic! So I I'm can't wait to read it. it. Yeah. Thank you for this money. This is fantastic. No problem. I, I think I, like, I know, even though I know that she's so I, iconic, I forgot about her. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Can I just read this little quote from her? Yeah, go ahead. So, so like, the person who wrote this um, lingerie piece about her um, really highlighted, like, how Jenny always made sure that she talked about, like, all parts of her identity, mm-hmm. right? What we would call intersectionality. So... <laughs> So Jenny says, I'm Japanese, 5'7", a dyke, tattooed, have a little bit of hair, and I don't wear feminine clothes. No one like me had paved the way, right? And so I think I wanted to read that just because it speaks to how she was very intentional about um, who she was and and being the representation that she didn't have. So, Mm. yeah. All right. I see you, Jenny. No. You know. (laughs) All right, Nikita, you want to move it on along to the community contributors? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> WB Frog. <laughs> um, Nikita, can you tell folks what the community contributor segment is? So the community contributor section is where we get to hear from you all. So when you all become patrons, when you donate on Cash App, when you send us your wonderful uh, missives in the email or when you tag us in something or when you DM us. So this is a section where we get to hear from you all and the rest of our listeners get to hear from you all. Yeah, and we love it. I think it's my favorite segment. Mm -hmm. Right after mine, of course. Wow. (laughs) All right, so we're going to start with the new patrons. So, shout out and thank you so much to Catalina Dolores. Mary, Kay, and Ophelia. Thank y'all. Yes. It is because of support like yours that we are able to keep the laptop on, even if it is taped together. <laughs> yes. You know, SoundCloud don't pay for itself. So we thank y'all for helping sustain us. Mm-hmm. Um, and for getting those, you know, exclusive uh, perks over there on the Patreon. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we... We see y'all liking and giving support on the Patreon. We are working on bringing you more content. So. Absolutely. But for now, I hope that my playlists are sending y'all all my favorite bops. And and very few of Nikita's uh, tunes as well. Wow. Emphasis on very few. <laughs> all right. So uh, we got to shout out uh, the folks over on the Cash App. The homie Diamond sent us a donation over on the Cash App. You know we love you, Diamond. <laughs> thank you so you much. And Noma. So thank you, Diamond and Noma, for hitting up the Cash App. And Crystal came through on the Cash App as well, purchasing some Queer Walk merch. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, so we still have some of the t-shirts. I know we don't really talk about them a lot. We don't but. have the small. So you can yeah. get your Glucose Guardian or Mental Moment with Money shirt in Queer Rock Yellow or Black. Yes. Um, in every size but small. Every size but yeah, small. We're out of smalls. If you're a patron, 
Shipping is free. Mm-hmm. If you're not yet a patron, shipping is $4.99, and the t-shirts are $20. Yep. All right. So, one of my favorite uh, shout-outs, the small town shout-out. Oh. So, our number one city for since the last episode is Mesa, Arizona. I don't think Mesa is that small, actually. Well, I don't have a sense of how big these places yeah, are. I mean, it's but not Phoenix. That's right. what I'm saying. All right. So, shout out to if, Mesa. If if I if this was a trivia um, round and I asked you to name cities in Arizona, would Mesa be the first one you name? It would be the third. <laughs> okay, no Nikita. offense to our <laughs> listeners in Mesa who were number one. Yes. So, thank you, Mesa, for coming through and being the number one city. Don't know what's happening out there. Y'all tell I, us what's going on in Mesa. What y'all doing? Eating tacos and kissing on the mouth? Okay, buddy. Um, Are y'all having listening parties for Queer Walk? I just want to know. I yeah. mean, I'm so excited. Do we need to Do we need to uh, go ahead and get trunned out to Mesa? Uh, but, um, hopefully flewed out because the train <laughs> to Mesa would probably take Two days. nothing short of an eternity. <laughs> so what are the other small town shout outs, Money? Nikita, all in our top 20. Stone Mountain, Georgia. Tamworth, UK. Wow, where's Tamworth? In the UK, I just said. I'm just, United Kingdom. Where in the UK? Ugh, in so the annoying. kingdoms that are united. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> and Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, that's great. Hey, Kalamazoo. You know, I homie Sherry is from Kalamazoo. That's right. My mama <laughs> took me on a vacation to Stone Mountain, Georgia when we lived in Mississippi. So, hey, Stone Mountain. Yeah, so we just wanted to shout all y'all out because, you know, like we say with uh, these small town shout outs, even though you might not be that small, Mesa, um, is that we know that the bigger cities have like listenerships because, you know, it's more people there, right? you know, per capita. So <laughs> that's why we get so excited when we see um, city names and like locations that, that we don't immediately recognize. Exactly. So thank you again, Mesa, Stone Mountain, Tamworth and Kalamazoo. Tamworth. <laughs> That's probably how they say it. I'm over here like Tamworth. <laughs> Shout out to Tamworth, UK, you shit. <laughs> Listening to Queer Watch. Okay. Oh my God. Money, what is wrong with you? <laughs> okay. And last but certainly not least, we just wanted to give a warm shout out to Kimagisha. So Kimagisha went to the Uganda Feminist Forum and wrote us such a long, wonderful day by day recap of this amazing feminist forum in um, Uganda. And so we just wanted to say thank you so much. Yeah, because it's obviously like you know we don't have the funds to get to, to Uganda yeah. or to attend the Uganda Feminist Forum. Mm-hmm. So it was so wonderful that Kimagisha really took out the time um, to tell us about this amazing yeah. conference. So you know, keeping you. us transnational. Exactly. Yes. Moving right on along to my personal favorite segment. And because I was working so hard along with the rest of the group to make sure that cookout happened, mm-hmm. I do not have a jingle. But that doesn't mean that this I dislike this segment. It doesn't mean that it's still not near and dear to my heart. You don't heart. need the excuses. Okay. Excuses are the tools of incompetence. That you to be a blah, 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 blah. Okay. Anyway, we're going to move it on along to the mental moment with money. So, what is the mental moment with money? So, when Montanique is not getting on my last nerve, 
She is a trained mental health therapist, and this is a segment where she gives us tidbits, insights, and tools around an array of topics in the mental health field. Thank you, Nikita. All right, so for this mental moment, I wanted to talk to y'all about group therapy. And actually, I'm so shocked that I haven't talked about group therapy yet. I can't believe you haven't. I, I don't. I don't know where my brain been. Um, actually, I do know. Y'all, I've been having these days where I'm just off. Like, off, off, girl. Off. <laughs> like, I know. The other day, I found out the Five Heartbeats wasn't a real group. You were pretty devastated. I cried, Nikita. <laughs> I was yeah. crying. I was Googling everything. I couldn't believe. Girl, I was I was in shambles. <laughs> oh, my I God. I feel like my whole childhood was alive. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> oh anyway. Um, Do you so, know Santa Claus isn't real? Nikita. Nikita. <laughs> Don't try me. Did you think that the Easter Bunny was? <laughs> I grew up on Kwanzaa. Okay. okay. All right. So get off me. I just want the Tooth Fairy is not a thing either. I know I'm not the only one out there who thought that the Five Heartbeats was a biopic. This is just so strange. I don't know. I just can't believe that people didn't know this. Well, not all of us were raised on um, Motown. Okay, Nikita. Yeah. Some of us millennials actually grew up with millennial music. Okay. All right. Um, so anyway, I wanted to talk about group therapy because I was thinking about like how I hear people say a lot that um, therapy is like inaccessible because of the cost. And I, I know that that is a like barrier for a lot of people. And there's a lot of things that I was thinking like strategies for bringing the cost down because therapy isn't always expensive. Um, and one of the ways that I thought, which is my favorite way, is group therapy. Group therapy tends to be cheaper than um, individual therapy. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and get into group therapy. I'm gonna explain it, you know, a little bit and I'm gonna talk about the principles of it, why it works, all that shit, right? So group therapy is exactly what it sounds like. It's, um, where three or more gather with a therapist or two, usually around a common problem. So, um, the thing about groups is that they usually form around a certain topic. So you'll have like... like Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because I would be like, if I needed group therapy, like the common problem would be, you know, just all the problems that us bad bitches face. Yes. So bad bad bitch therapy um, is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sure. A bad bitch support group. There's I've I've taken part and facilitated student of color groups. Mm. So, yeah, they can be identity focused or they can be issue focused like um, anxiety group or substance abuse group. Or, like, new parents group. Or, like, a grief group, you know? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they can be identity-focused or, uh, you know, problem-focused. But, yeah, you all have some commonality. That's why y'all there, okay? All right, so I'm going to run through uh, the 11 principles of group therapy. And I say run through because they're not that deep. And it's funny because the reason why I thought I would have talked about group therapy by now is because group therapy works for the same reason why community works. Yeah. And we talk so much about community and how it's such a solve for a lot of these, like, social issues, mental health issues, um, all that stuff that we face. 
um, that I was like, damn, I can't believe I ain't talk about group therapy. All right. So y'all in my master's program, one of the best books I ever read was the theory and practice of group therapy by Irvin Yalom. Not that he needs the plug, like the, the free advertisement, uh-huh. but I just wanted to tell y'all about the book because one books are accessible things. They're like way cheaper than, mm-hmm. than therapy. Um, but two, because so often, this like mental health shit is written in such an inaccessible way. But Yalom doesn't write like that. He he writes like kind of like how I do the mental moment. Just yeah. like, here's what it is, right? It's uh-huh. real, real accessible um language. It's not like hoity toity, I'm writing this for clinicians. It's really like why does group work, right? Okay. And so I'm going to tell y'all the 11 processes and principles that he says makes group therapy work, right? So the first is installation of hope. Mm. Like groups instill hope. Um, folks be in groups at different levels and like different stages and like treatment, addressing their issues. Some folks do group therapy in addition to individual therapy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are at different stages And that creates like this hope environment to see somebody who's struggling with the same thing you are that has either made it through or is like in a different place in that struggle. That's hopeful. Absolutely. I've I've never thought about it in that way. That's really helpful. Mm -hmm. The second uh, principle is universality. And um, I, I, another word for universality is normalizing. Mm. So Mm. you're not the only one. Yeah. So to... I I believe that like just sitting in a room with other people who experience the same thing you do, you get this sense of like, oh shit, I'm not tripping. Especially with mental health stuff. Of course. Yeah. It it helps you see that you're going through something that other people experience. Um, You're not alone. Mm -hmm. There are folks here in it with you. The third principle, imparting information. Group members just help each other find out about stuff. Uh, Therapists are amazing resources, but we are not the resources. Mm. Um, And oftentimes, uh, we're we're also not experts of the human experience, even though we study it. So I I have therapists that, what, I mean. (laughs) I'm sorry, they just kind of like blew my mind, right, when you said that. It's like, you know, we study it, but we're not experts on it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I have um, therapists that I've, like, worked with as a client before that I know they haven't experienced what I'm going through, but they can connect me to people who we have. have. Yeah. And um, so I don't think that they're any less effective as a therapist because they don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I think it actually speaks to their effectiveness that they can connect me to somebody who yeah, does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in groups, that's built in. Yeah. You already have people who are experiencing the same thing you are yeah. who might be like, oh, girl, you have you heard about Sheila? Uh-huh. Because she uh-huh. do that, that, Right, right, right. Yeah. Or like, Jacob over there do 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 Uh so yeah so that imparting of information the fourth principle is altruism and so altruism is just like you do something helpful for someone else just to be helpful Mm -hmm. so you share your strength strengths with someone just out of the the sheer like goodness of humanity. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and it's so funny to like watch this happen in group because a lot of times that I, I think people are altruistic in group without noticing that they are. Yeah. It's like, like just now when you were like, wow, it kind of blew my mind that you said that. Like you just be talking, right? You just be telling your experience and it hits somebody else yeah, in a way yeah. that is so helpful. 
Um, and then getting that feedback from somebody, like, you know, what you said really, like, changed me. It, mm. you know, it boosts your self-esteem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was about to make another Euphoria reference, but we rambled and meandered through Euphoria yeah. enough on the last episode. Absolutely. So, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> the fifth principle is, okay, y'all, I'm going to break this down, but I just love this word. Corrective recapitulation of primary family group. What what in the psychoanalytic fuck does that even mean? I love this. You're word. such a nerd. I know. I just love recapitulation. Okay, so capitulation, right? <laughs> Before you read. Oh, you about to get down so, to the etymology. Okay, right. come on. So so think about um like your family of origin, right? Mm-hmm. Um in in family therapy, like systems thinking, everybody plays a role in their family of origin. Okay. So you have your specific role in your family, mm-hmm. right? Um, and oftentimes we have experiences through that role. So whether you're like the golden child who like does everything right yeah, yeah. or you're the scapegoat of the family uh-huh. where like everything get blamed on you. Uh-huh. And your relation to other people starts to mirror that in, like, other parts of your life. Mm. So maybe you were the scapegoat in your family and the main person who always blamed everything on you was, like, your mom. Mm -hmm. So then every woman that's in an authority position over you, you tend to have conflict with, right? So in group settings, so that's capitulation. That's, like, the the setting, the framework. And I'm giving, like, classic examples, y'all. It could be more. It, sure, y'all, sure. y'all know life is life is complicated. Yeah. So it don't have to be that clear cut. But this you're is making just, it clear cut for the as a matter of example. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So recapitulation means that it plays out in other spaces, right? And so a corrective recapitulation is that you get to have. Um, an experience with a woman that's an authority for you that is positive. That's not scapegoating. Exactly. Oh, okay. okay. They're not okay. blaming everything on you. Okay. You don't feel negatively towards that person. And you actually see that there's more similarities between the two of you than like you would have imagined. Okay. Yeah. And so in groups, um, because humans are such uh, social creatures and also because we are such basic creatures, even though we don't think we are, like we work off of schemas in our head. And so if you're in a group long enough, especially a closed group where new people aren't joining with every meeting. Y'all tend to take roles in the group, too. Okay. So it'll be the person who always gets y'all started. Uh It'll be the person who cracks the joke to break Uh the ice, you Mm -hmm. know? And so you get to have a corrective experience with this newfound family, kind of. So. Okay. That happen- That can't happen in individual therapy. It's just yeah. you and the therapist. So a, a lot of times it just be counter-transference, transference, counter-transference, transference. <laughs> you don't get to correct nothing. So, um, yeah. So that's corrective recapitulation of primary family group. Uh, the sixth principle of group therapy, development of socialization techniques. So you just learn how to socialize. To be in a group. Yes. It's uh, hopefully the therapist is like giving um, on the spot feedback. Mm-hmm. Other group members will check you if you get out of line. Uh-huh. Other group members will praise you or you'll get a, um, what is it like an, an affirming um, response from group members when you're socializing with people in ways that are healthy and okay. safe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say this is 
so important for folks who struggle with like social anxiety or like just not it don't even have to be anxiety just like social awkwardness i was gonna ask you about that try it out in a group therapy session it's like a closed contained environment ecosystem yeah Yeah. okay it's like you you know it can only go so far because it's therapy still at the end of the day um you know these people ain't gonna throw a drink in your face like Like basketball wise, it's group therapy. <laughs> it's group therapy, not uh, the set of a reality, mildly scripted reality TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the seventh principle is imitative behavior. Like it sounds, it just means that you get to learn something by like watching somebody else okay. do it. Okay. Right. Um, a lot of times, group therapists, like therapists who are running the groups, will use like modeling. So I'll do something. Uh, especially with social skills that I want other people to pick up on. And that's, and I've, oh God, I, I'm going to save um, a rant on that. But I feel like that's important because <laughs> I feel like, you know, it kind of in like the, um, it's like a flip on what your mama would say. I can show you better than I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, just, and I feel like people are just more receptive to it uh-huh. rather than be like, why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? But if mm-hmm. it's like, oh, look, here's another way of like yep. being in community or being in a group. You exactly. Know? That's, exactly. That's so good. Number eight, the eighth like principle is uh, interpersonal learning by interacting with other people and receiving feedback on the spot. You get to get a greater understanding of yourself through interactions with other people. Mm. I think I did this activity as one of the mental moments, the uh, friend, the paper friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, like that was actually an activity that I did in group therapy. Okay. Um, as me, myself, as a client. Okay. Um, and yeah, so stuff like that happens a lot in group therapy where it's like I'm getting on the spot feedback about who I am. And all these, these like, 8 to 12 people have been experiencing me for at least six meetings. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this is how I am in social environments. This is the feedback that the majority of the group is giving me. So it's like, oh, you get to learn about yourself. Okay. Number nine, group cohesiveness. Um, So because everybody there is sort of, like, dealing with the same issue or has a common goal, you start to feel like you... You belong somewhere. Yeah. That you are accepted by somebody. It goes back to like that. You are not alone. Mm -hmm. Number 10. Catharsis. Girl, you just get to leave shit in the room. Just walk in, vent, leave it there. Right, right. (laughs) Just like this shedding of emotion that gets to happen in group settings in a different way than it happens in individual settings. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think it feels a lot... A lot lower stakes because everybody else has to share too. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of times it can feel in- intimidating in individual therapy, where it's just you and just the therapist, you, yeah. and the therapist blinking at you, and yeah. you got <laughs> to be like, right. Um, so in 1998, when I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot less stakes if everybody is having this catharsis and sharing. Mm-hmm. And the last principle is existential factors. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> why? I don't know if it's like an existential factor. What are we getting at here? So in, instead of existential crisis, it's existential calm. Ooh. It's like knowing that you're responsible for your life and that you have control over your actions, mm-hmm. that um, your choices impact something. Uh-huh. A lot of times existential crisis happen because you feel like no matter what I do, I'm fucked in the end. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like so. So like stopping that process. Um, knowing that you are connected, like 
that other people are looking forward to seeing you next week. I don't want to say it gives your life purpose. But it gives your life purpose. I mean, you know? I feel like it goes back to number nine, the group cohesiveness. Like yeah. being a part of that group. Yeah. You just uh, snatch my wig or straight off the existential, with the idea of existential calm. So I'm like, <laughs> I've only ever thought about existential crises. I'm just like, right. oh, mm-hmm. wow. So you, if one extreme can exist, then yeah. surely the other can. It's so annoying having to do this shit with you live. Because I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I need a minute to like deal with you just snatching it. Every follicle right off my scalp. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. I know, but still, just, this is so. This is so good. This is so helpful. And you know, I'm hmm. the most antisocial person anybody could ever meet, and I'm just like, huh. Mm-hmm. Look at all these principles. I'm glad you said that because I think um, some people say that they don't want to do group therapy because they're not social people. Uh-huh. It's a social process in that, like, it's more than one person. Yeah. But a lot, like, I'm gonna say it again. A lot of times, it's a lot less stakes than individual therapy yeah. where you literally have to be on because yeah. you're the only one there. Yeah. This is about you and for a whole hour. For some reason, I just thought that... I feel like it's your your point about it being a controlled and contained environment. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I always thought, like, group therapy which just would be, like, way too, I don't know, like, structured. It just made me mm-hmm. think about... I mean, obviously, it's not the same thing, but, like, some of these things reminded me of, like, what it means to be, like, in a meeting, in, like, an organizing exactly. yeah. community or mm-hmm. in an organization. You know what I mean? So, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, if I can do that. Yeah. I think it definitely depends on the style of the therapist. Yeah. And the purpose of the group. Yeah, so sure, sure, when sure. I was doing a chemical dependency group, of course, it was highly structured because I was working at a hospital yeah, and yeah, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. it was court ordered. Yeah. So it's a lot more structured than like a process group for students of color. Right. You Which know? is self selecting. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Like you show you show up because like you identify as a student of color yeah. and you got like some shit happening okay. in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Or even um like it depends on age range and stuff. Like I know like youth groups or like teen groups yeah. tend to be a lot more there's a lot more activities yeah. in groups. That makes versus, sense. Yeah, like keep you engaged and all that stuff. Yeah. So those are the principles of group therapy. I hope what this mental moment did was it presented group therapy as an option for you. Because again, like I said, it, it can be a lot cheaper than individual therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'll just give like a little plug that um, studies have shown that group therapy can is just as effective or for um, certain disorders more effective than individual therapy. So, yeah. Bunch like this is so fantastic. I cannot believe you have never done group therapy. I can't believe it either. So, here it is. Group therapy. <laughs> Hashtag community. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I think I think when Queen was advertising the the bad, workshop. Bad bitch affirmation. Yeah. And she was talking about, like, healing and community. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. I've never done group, group therapy. therapy yeah. yeah. So, I mean, shout out to Queen. And also, a lot of us don't, like, heal in isolation. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm a, a marriage and family therapist other than any other kind of therapist. Because I believe that, like, our healing is interconnected. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Group therapy, therapy. I don't I don't know why you're saying group therapy in that bizarre seductive tone, but if you like it, I love it. Back to you, Keto. <laughs> ding 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 ding. And now our bi-weekly word from our wonderful womanist worker, wordsmith, wizard, Nikita. Ding ding 
ding, ding. Yeah. I don't know why you love to whisper so seductively into the mic. I don't be whispering. You should, yeah. Group therapy. It's, <laughs> it's breathy, not a whisper. Breathy. So. Touche. <laughs> All right. And so this segment is where our resident um, labor organizer and just um, all-around community badass uh, gives us a breakdown of a social justice uh, word issue topic or thing that's going on <laughs> i was trying to think of another word but you know, I, I, yeah I i'm not the wordsmith on this here program okay that was, <laughs> that was cute all right so one of our listeners sent us an email that i thought was pretty interesting it's something i, I have thought a lot about myself and i You know, I've tried to figure out some strategies around. So I'm just going to read the email and then I'm going to answer the person's question. So um, I think the person's name is Adane or Adane. And so they write and say, I am entering my third year as a critical race and ethnic studies, possible feminist studies double major. (laughs) And my plan for this summer was to read as much as I could. I bought hella books that had been on my list for a cool minute, especially because some I wanted to use for different workshops. I wanted to provide the community at some of our Black Student Union general body meetings. However, like a lot of things, this didn't come into fruition. Uh, So one, for the most part, I found myself, one, reading way too slow and taking too long, two, reading too deep into something or not understanding something mentioned in the book and therefore spending more time trying to research (laughs) that briefly mentioned concept, three, zoning out after a couple of pages and or four, reading past a good amount of pages but barely remembering anything that was said. Facepalm emoji that Gmail does not offer. (laughs) I guess my question is, what tips do y'all have to improve reading skills and speed, especially because sometimes I find these issues occurring throughout the school year and because I do want to pursue a PhD, but I don't want to be unprepared with reading hella and failing behind. So this is a West Coast listener. Yeah. Mm. And second question would be, how can I condense what I've learned and read into something folks can easily digest and take in without feeling like they're being talked at instead of being provided a workshop on the topic? Hmm. Okay, so... So, Nikita, how do we read? That is such a good question. And so, I guess I should just go ahead and be honest. There's some things I'm going to say here that are probably going to make me a hypocrite, but these are things that I... You know what? Not a hypocrite. These are things that I am... Still a whip about. What is a whip? A work in progress. Okay. I'm adding that W word to your intro. Oh, my God. Okay. So, I actually, I was like, I think I've talked about this. I, like, posted a a status about this on my Facebook, like, five years ago. And it was so funny because my my Facebook post was, like, the verbatim of that email. So, I'm just like, I'm getting too, you know, like I always tend to say, lost in the weeds on something, right? So... I kind of want to think about this because it's like I'm not a student um, anymore, but I'm somebody who still reads a lot of like, you know, politics, history, theory kind of stuff. So I want to answer this in such a way as because I think how I how one would read for grad school is not the same way that you would be reading otherwise. So I do want to make that clear. And money, I think you absolutely as um, a doctoral candidate, you know, you should feel free to chime in here, too. How about how to read for grad school? 
Yes, my. <laughs> oh no, it's only my thing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, I, was about I, to I could say, chime wow, in. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> so here's what I want to say. <laughs> I think there's some things you have to do before you read. And I think, so this is me answering in terms of um, grad school. So first, I'm going to say this. I don't know if this is shots fired, but I think that this is kind of a well-established thing. You're not going to read everything for grad that's, school. Just just accept that. that that's, Nobody reads everything for grad it's, school. And it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? So You get assigned like an a unreadable amount of pages. Yes. Per night. You can't read it all. It's like you'll be assigned, like, with all of your classes, like, 500 pages like fi- of reading a, night. a week. Yeah. A, a night. Yeah. Because, like, your classes be, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, right. But yeah. you still. So, it's just, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's that's it's just untenable. That's just not. That's ridiculous. So, in terms of. Um, so, one of my comrades had responded on my um, Facebook thread. And they had a really good idea. Where it's, like, try to find a review of the book. That you have read because so here's the thing when you're reading a book for school you have to you have to approach it in a very strategic way right like this is not just like a leisure read but I'm going to talk about leisure reading as well and because this is also what I do when I um, even read for leisure and actually when I was thinking about it this is this whole conversation uh, is actually like when I thought about it this is actually what got me into podcasting because there's a moment when I realized. I was not going to read all the books that I wanted to read anytime soon. And I had to make peace with that. So the whole way that I got into listening to podcasts was I was listening to the authors of books where I'm like, here's a book that's interesting, but I'm probably not going to read anytime soon. So let me just find multiple interviews with this author to try to get a sense about what this book is about. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, which is also illiteracy. What do you mean by that? Like audio learning, like it's still learning. It's still learning, Absolutely. and it's it's still a literacy. Like some people, you can hear something and not retain any of it. Yeah, you have to see it on page. Uh, touche. So yeah, and also just kind of um, side note, this is not necessarily for like. Uh, reading for school but like that's also another thing that got me into long form essays because it's like I can read uh, like I can read like a 16,000 word or a 20,000 word essay it's going to take me some time but I'm going to read that and try to get like a deeper understanding of something way faster than I am going to get through like a a 300 or 400 Mm -hmm. page book anyway like I was saying is that you want to be strategic about how you're reading a book and so Everybody, you know, you go through the table of contents and then you also want to read the read the intro of a book and then read the conclusion. And then before you even get into the chapters, read each. I would go and read each if there if the chapters have introductions and conclusions or even if they don't read the first few pages of the chapter and then read the last few pages of the chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, th- I'm you know, this is not this is how I often um, approach books, even when I'm just reading just for leisure, if there's something that I'm trying to understand, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, again, you want to kind of, like, get a sense about what the purpose of the book is. And more importantly, when you're reading nonfiction, it's like you want to try to get a sense of what the argument is. Right. So what is the actual argument or set of arguments that the author is making? And then, like, what sort of uh, empirical or what sort of evidence are they going to use to back up the argument? That That is essentially how you want to read a book. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing, um, I think. I used to get really bogged down in note-taking, and I think it is important to take notes. Um, But 
I don't read. So to answer the question, because this used to happen to me, and sometimes it still does. It's like you want to research every little thing that you don't know or you see a footnote or you're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. what else did this person mm-hmm. in the footnotes as being cited? Right. I don't read with any electronics. So I'll sit in my house and I'll put music on, but like I don't read with my phone near me and I don't read with a laptop near me because it reduces the temptation and the impulse to like feverishly research. research. Yeah. And it's like, again, your goal, you don't need to get bogged down in the details or you just, you make a note of what you need to figure out later. Sometimes you'll even forget. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, if it's like, if it's just so, if it's to the point where it's like, I'm not going to be able to understand, you know, the argument without knowing this thing. And nine times out of 10, that's not going to be the case. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just don't just, again, Always keep trying to go towards what is the main point that this person is arguing arguing, and how are they supporting that claim, right? And so, again, you just, I think you really want to stay towards focusing on the big picture. And so when I actually take notes, um, there's been studies that show that, like, even for, when, even when you're in classes, like, taking notes on a laptop is, like, you just, most of us have been typing you know, been on, especially if you're like a certain age, we've been typing for so long, like we're, we're fast typers, you're not retaining anything. Right, right. So you have to write it down. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. You can, so write down. So you, and like, you're not just kind of like aimlessly writing things down. So I would even say like, you can start, okay, thesis, you know, semicolon. What is the thesis, right? What What is the argument that they're trying to make? And then, why make, did they write this book? Exactly. That's what you want to get That's sense, You so. don't want to get stuck in, oh, well, mm-hmm. there's this really interesting, you know, blah, 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 fact that I'm like mildly, that you're like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm fascinated by this one detail, but it's not, right, you're losing right. sight of the larger picture. And then also another thing I think is important for grad students or students writing papers or anything like that is um, you want to think about, again, their argument that they're making, and then you want to think about what part is the most interesting for whatever evidence you're trying to use in your own paper. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should try to get, um, I don't think it's, in, when you're trying to like, if you're trying to like respond to like, because sometimes you have to do like a reader's response or something or mm-hmm. like that goal is to figure out what, again, what the point of this book is. Like, but if you're writing, if you're reading a text so you can write a paper, then it's like what, what parts of the text or information are important for you to make your argument. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like you can read one text, but you yeah. can read it in different ways. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I write, I write things down because, because I'm old fashioned and studies show that that's how you actually retain information. Yeah. And don't, I, and I understand, it's kind of like the propensity to want to, like, mindlessly just, like, get into a rabbit hole. I think it's the same thing with note-taking. The, the purpose of highlighting is you want to be strategic. So, again, what's the main argument? How is it, how is it building towards the argument? You, if you highlight everything, then there's no purpose of yeah, using a highlighter. Yeah, might as well not highlight. There's no underlining. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, you don't need to underline everything. Yeah. And so when you're taking your notes... I think it's important to try to paraphrase it and already put it in your own words because once you start to put things in your own words, then you then it means that you you have some sense of what you have some understanding of what it is that you're actually reading. There you go, Nikita. Mm-hmm. And related to that is something and this is what so I told you all that I got into podcasting from listening and um, from like like wanting to hear interviews of people whose books that I wasn't going to have the time to read. And but also on the flip side, when 
you have when you when it comes time for you to explain something and to talk something out loud with somebody else, that's when you and when you can explain it to somebody else, that's when you know that you understand it. Yep. So if you have some time, take some time to like talk about it with a friend. Because that's what I that's what I'm like forced to do when I read stuff and then I want to talk about it here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like there's sometimes like just like total transparency. When I first we had first recorded the um when I talked about Zionism, Montanique had this glazed look over her eyes. And I and it was because I like I was like okay like I have to sharpen my understanding yeah. of this and I have to sharpen how I explain it. Yeah, because I was lost, y'all. And, and so that's like, and so it's like when you actually are forced to explain something uh-huh. and you have to not only when you have to like explain it, but it, you know it helps you realize okay I actually have a grasp of this mm-hmm. or because like we did that episode in two parts because I was like okay there's what the first part I could really get but then yes, I was like yeah. there was parts where I was stumbling mm-hmm. and I was like okay here's where. I, after I talked it out with Montanique, we talked about it off air. Then I realized, okay, here's the part where I actually need to like clean it up and make a more concise argument, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that that's exactly what like talking things out loud is really important. And so it's like again, get with some of your peers. And side note, you don't, we say it all the time for anything, and we just talked about group therapy. But the only way you're going to survive grad school is if you have. Ooh, child. You got to have homies. You got to have... And so it's like, yeah. if there's people in your classes who are reading the same stuff, it's just be like, well, this is what I'm getting when I'm reading X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You know, does this make sense? I the um I know some of this stuff sounds um kind of hokey, but it's just so important. Like, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff is unnecessarily dense and ridiculous. And sometimes... Like, people are making important claims, but they're just also not writing clearly. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, it's it's okay that it takes you time to get through it. Because a lot of times, you know, you're reading stuff that's just not well written. Exactly. It's not you. It's the writer. Right. And so, <laughs> even in that, even in, you know, a fucking disaster of a text. So, when you're reading, you know... Because you mentioned, like, feminist studies and, you know, I don't know if they're still teaching. Uh, what's her face? I'm sure that they are. Judith Butler. You're like, she has written a 10-line a sentence. And you're like, what in the hell right. is Judith Butler talking yeah. about? So even then, still try to figure out, okay, this is still the main point. Mm-hmm. Like, because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that they, you know, that, that, we, that we should learn, like, early on. Like, I, mean, yeah. I remember doing this kind of shit early mm-hmm. on. But then you think, oh, well, this stuff is too beyond me. It's like, no, just like you just have to be strategic in how you, mm-hmm. like, approach it. So just, okay, this is, in all the dense jargon, this is still, like, the main point that they're trying to argue. You right. know what I'm saying? So don't mm-hmm. ever lose sight of that. Kind of like how we were talking earlier. Um, it's just, this is why study groups are important, right? Because it's like, it's, you know, your, your interpretation, you know, of like what the main argument is could be different than somebody else. Yeah. So you still learn. Yeah. Like you, you still can... Like, just, like, having that discussion and a place to talk it out is really, really unhelpful for mm-hmm. learning, which is most of, what, like, what grad school mm-hmm. um, is anyway. But even if you're not, like, in grad school, this is, like, I've done study groups and, like, political organizing. And it's, mm-hmm. like, we, we could talk through this shit together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's one of the things that helps it to make, to make it feel yeah. like it's not inaccessible. I mean, I always say that, um, like, going to Fusion taught me intersectionality. Even though I read Crenshaw, right? But she's a le- Kimberly Crenshaw is a legal, a legal scholar, scholar, right? And that that essay where she introduces intersectionality is like 40, 50 something pages. Exactly. I was not understanding what the hell, right? Even the metaphor about the intersection, I was like, I don't get this. But like going and sitting with y'all who come from different disciplines, 
different life experiences and y'all was like okay so this is what it is that's when I like learned it right because yeah. we because you needed to talk it out right and put it in your own words and putting it in your own words yeah. is key and like that's exactly what you do with like the mental moment I mean mm-hmm. what is it corrective recapitulation with yeah, the family yeah. primary right, right. if I would have encountered that I'd have been like well I'm just gonna go move on by <laughs> I'm not gonna and read I hope that's not I hope that's uh, not important not on the test right <laughs> And also, because it's like um, uh, Adane or Adane mentioned, like, you know, you just kind of like getting to the point where you're like, oh, my God, like, I'm not even comprehending what I'm reading. This is why I feel like, I mean, it's a little bit tougher to do when you're on a deadline or like at a timeline for school. But even in my personal reading, I really try to set manageable goals for what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's based on like my general, you know, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. OK, I know once I. So, like, I was reading this book that, I mean, so good, but it was, like, a lot of stuff that I, I just, I didn't know. So, I was, like, the chapters were really long. And so, I was, like, okay, I'm going to try to get through, like, five to seven sections of this chapter, and then I'm going to, like, call it done. Because, it like, there does get to a point when you're just not going to retain anything right, right. else. Mm-hmm. So, you just have to just be, like, okay, I'm going to stop there, right? So, but I also, I try to set, you know, like, you know, challenging enough but we still reasonable and manageable because it's like that's the only way i for me personally that i've been able to like make it through text Mm -hmm. and i so yeah it's just like don't i just i just really want to keep saying it's like it's like just don't be discouraged like set you know manageable goals be determined again you just have to be strategic about how you approach these things Mm -hmm. and like again so it's like Going through like other people's reviews, listening to like an interview, yes, because and, and a lot of times in these interviews, like even even Judith Butler is not gonna, she's not gonna talk the way she writes, the, the way that she exactly. writes. So it's like just try to just try to find a more distilled version of yeah. what it is um, that you're reading. So you have to have some kind of like plan, like of mm-hmm. attack, and then just kind of another thing, just for me, one of the things I've tried to do in like the last five years is I really try to read thematically because once you read thematically, and what do I mean by that? Like, just these certain kind of, like, I get, like, certain kind of topics just really get their hooks into me. And so, like, for the last, like, five years, I've really been interested in, like, the intersection of, like, capitalism and race and, like, the history of, like, Jim Crow and, like, urban areas. And so it's, like, I've been really trying to read thematically in that way because once you read thematically, and that's kind of on on some level, outside of all the bullshit, that's the whole purpose on some level of, like, a quote-unquote advanced study because it's, Mm -hmm. like, once you get a deeper understanding of something, then it becomes, you have enough of a foundation that where it gets easier to start to, read right, text right. and understand mm-hmm. the the broad range of arguments that mm-hmm. are going to be in a field. And so, and I, I really keep stressing, I also want to keep stressing that this is not, and like that came, so that's not like, oh, it's just like a hoity-toity academic thing. I, I got into that because I'm like, I'm trying to understand why a place like Syracuse, New York looks like it the way that it does mm-hmm. and how that impacts yeah. how we organize around mm-hmm. here. So I'm like, I have to understand like the history of segregation mm-hmm. and like it's contemporary modern forms and how that shaped by like capitalist political economy and space and geography. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's not so these aren't just like purely like academic interests. It's like I have to understand these broader uh, forces that, you know, shape the city and, like, the way I live in it because it also affects how we're going to create a different kind of model, like, yeah. in the city. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's, like, it's not just academics that need to be 
um, you know, that like want to grapple with these like, you know, these big ideas or these like theoretical or historical ideas. Also, along with that, it's like, oh, my, there's all these discussions around like black feminism. And it's like I've wanted to revisit this um, this like these conversations around like intersectionality. So I'm, I'm going back. Um, I haven't done it lately, but, like, there was a period where I was, like, going back and rereading all of these debates and things about, like, um, intersectionality. Uh, But the second question that um, Adonai had is how to present this in a digestible way. And and I think I got the sense from their email that they're doing um, workshops. Um, But I think there's other ways to be creative to... I think organizers have really, I'm biased, have really just, like, done a really good job on figuring figuring this shit out. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I'm That's like... That's not biased. It's like, I'm, the Academy ain't got the answers. They don't, right? And even, I mean, I don't want to get into a rant on that. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do that for another episode. But um, Miriam Kaba, who is just, like, the organizing phenom in my eyes, she's always doing something. Um, so she's created a lot of really good. I'm gonna post these in the um, in the show notes, but she's in a lot of really phenomenal zines, and so like that's like a very concrete and like digestible way yep. to like transmit information. I mean, that's what we do here on the podcast. It doesn't have to be like mm-hmm. a full hour and a half, you know, two hours or hour long show. There's other sort of audio snippets, yeah, yeah, um, that you could do videos. Um, yeah. Just kind of going back to what I was talking about with like study groups, it's like so whenever you do some kind of workshop, it's like I think it's the one of the things that I've learned is that you really I think it's really good to do like small group like activities yes. and make sure that the activities are like interactive. So yes. like one of the things that you know we used to do at the worker center is that we did a lot of um like scenarios, right? So there's like theater. I mean, there's so many creative ways to get people um to think about like you know, complex ideas. And that's one of the things that when we talk to Charlene Carruthers and she talks about yep. in her book, yeah. that mm-hmm. like working class people, like working class poor black people are just as hungry to talk about politics and ideas as anybody else, Yeah, you know? And so, um, like just going back to the example of one of the things that we did at the Worker Center. So it was like, you know, I'm like, what, I mean, I'm always talking about the NLRB section seven. It's like the reason why I, like, I learned that is because I learned it through a training where so it's like you talk about, okay, what can I, so you would give an example to be like, okay, you all are having an issue in your workplace, get into small groups and talk mm-hmm. about how you would, um, mm-hmm. like how you would deal with that issue. Mm-hmm. And so people say, you know, I'm going to talk to my boss, I would do this. And you say, oh, okay, here's like very your concrete personal experiences and here's how you tie it to like a broader, um, like a a broader like a law that will impact people mm-hmm. that 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 they might not have known mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. or again i'm always thinking about like you know capitalism like urban spaces and that kind of thing so it's like i'm mm-hmm. not going to give some long lecture you know, like yeah, i'm not yeah. going to lecture people about yeah. neoliberal you like urbanism or political economy mm-hmm. but it's like oh yeah and people like people so i think the best way to do that is to like point to like get people to think about the their personal kind of like Thanks. immediate yes. experiences, yeah. and then you tie Connected. it back. Yeah, you tie it back to like the broader picture. I'm, I'm thinking what about I mean? two examples of where I did that when I was teaching um, last fall. So the first one was because um, everybody always thinks that these issues are way far out there, yeah. right? Like, oh, Syracuse is like removed from all this stuff. So I took like pictures from things Absolutely. that have happened on campus. Yes, and they like, oh my gosh, that's that's Hendricks Chapel. It's like, yeah, because this happened on this campus, right? right? So it's like that way. 
Um, so I would show the picture, and then you know people would be talking about the picture, and I would explain the movement. Right, from the exactly. Shout out to the homie Jaffe. She provided me some of those pictures. Um, and then the other one was inspired by the homie Sherry, Dr. Sherry Williams. Um, I asked, so I was teaching WGS 101, Intro to Women's Gender Studies, and I asked like um, my students to find like tweets that that they thought were like that they would clap back at, right? Because mm-hmm. that's really what they wanted to take the class for. They was like, you know, Me Too was really popping yeah. while I was teaching. And they're like, we want to we wanna have the tools to respond to these motherfuckers on Twitter. So I'm like, find me the tweets. Right. Find me the tweets that got you mad, right? And so I would put the tweet up on the screen so everybody's reading the tweet. And we would just go through the readings from the week and be like, like, what can we use in here to, to like uh, to respond exactly. and not just respond, right? Like, well, according to Margaret right. Spivak, no, it's like put it in your own words and make it an actual clapback, right? Because yeah. then, then you know, and you can like back it up, yeah. like if somebody's like, where's the receipts? You got your receipts, yeah, but you also know it because it's in your words, right? Um, so those are just like some activities that I did, so. So, do you have other tips, um, doctoral candidate? Stop money, um, About how to read. Well, first of all, listen to Zebra Cats. I'm a read, I'm a read, I'm a read. Uh, okay, um, but I'm kidding, but I'm also serious. Like, music helps me a lot mm-hmm. when I'm reading to retain stuff. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what that is, but... Usually, I'm not listening to something as lit as Zebra Cats, but if I'm listening to some something smooth, you know, like yeah. a, that I remember a lot more. Yeah, so I, had, I was trying to take notes as you were talking to try to remember things that I've done as, like, strategies for academic reading. Um, so, first of all, we as queer folks of color in these programs often feel like we got to know everything. And the privilege that other students, like, don't don't feel that, right? Um, and so I always remind myself that I have to know deep, not wide. So I need to know Say what, that again, Montanique. I have to know deep, not wide. So I have to know my shit, right? So, yes. so like, what am I studying? Um, what am I expected to, like, write my thesis or dissertation on? What am I defending? The what? What kind of scholar do I want to be? Yes. If, yes. if I had to say, my name is Montanique McEachern, expert in bat. What is bat? Right. Right. I don't need to know his shit, they shit, yo shit. I just need to know my shit. Right. <laughs> right? right. So deep. Um, I want to be able to name every um author who has ever like published written sung about queer women of color because that is that is my population right that i want to be an expert on right um and so deep not wide helped me um it also helps with imposter syndrome uh also knowing my audience like who am i I talking to yeah so um so when you talked about like how do i how do uh people feel not talked at it's like you have to you have to know who you're talking to. Yeah. Um. So it sounds like you be wanting to talk to the BSU. I remember how I was in undergrad. It was like, oh, here she comes with this gay shit. Like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> right? But, <laughs> but um, you know, I hadn't yet learned the skills. Like, you have to know your audience, right? So, like, connecting it and making it personal, like Nikita was talking about, using other mediums, because you already exhausted from being in class all day. You don't want to use the same kind of mediums. Oftentimes, classrooms are set up for people whose learning styles are visual, 
like um, like videos and stuff, or um, reading. Right, so uh, try to engage the other learning styles, like kinesthetic learners, yeah. who need to learn by doing. Um, you listen to podcasts, so like audio learners, people who learn by like hearing something. Um, go on memory walks with people, like change the scenery, like mm-hmm. all those things can help. Buy used books. I mean, I don't know who out here buying brand new textbooks in today's economy, but that definitely helps. And Nikita started talking about you don't get through grad school by yourself. So if there are other folks in your programs that have come before you, ask them for the readings, ask them for their syllabus, ask them for their old notebooks if they're willing to give it. Um, Because that'll give you a sense. Most of the time people have already highlighted the things that you have to take away from that, Mm -hmm. that reading. And so that saves you time because then you can skip over those parts. That's like, well, it was nothing important here. Um, Like Nikita said, always read the intro. Um, I... Uh, just just a little something that I do is I actually look up the authors because it gives me a sense of where yes, they where they yeah, might be going because yeah. I'm not gonna finish this motherfucking book like I'm right, not right. I'm not gonna read the whole book right so if I get a sense of oh this person writes on like um, apartheid in South Africa it's like okay I know that this is gonna be an argument for some you know it's right. like I know where this is going right. even though I won't read I won't read the whole book maybe I'll read the first three chapters or right. something. Um, and, and a skill that I picked up in undergrad is I used to split my page, right? So I would fold my paper in half. Um, and again, I'm writing because that's how I retain information. I don't retain nothing when I type it out. Same. So I fold my paper in half and on whichever side, the left side, I take notes from class, right? Mm -hmm. Like pretty much verbatim from whatever's happening, verbatim from whatever I'm reading. And then on the other side of the paper, I write it in my words. Yes, yes, Like what, like, okay, I read my notes and what was happening, what was going on. And then on the other side of the page, I'm like, I literally write it like a journal entry, like I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Like, okay, so in class, what ha- <laughs> So what Spivak is really saying, I've really, seen you do this. Yeah, this so pe- funny. I think people see me do it, people hear me do yeah. it. You know, I'll read something um, and I'll just put it in my own words because that's how I'm going to retain it. Um, that's how it becomes actual knowledge. Yeah. And I'm not just regurgitating some, yeah. s- some shit off a page that yeah. I don't know. Like somebody asked me and I'll be like, it's only my third day out here. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I hope those help. Just the last thing I want to say is that also motherfuckers be up in grad school lying. People be pretending that they know what this shit means. Yeah. And it'd be like 90% of the class. Don't, don't understand know. or don't be bullshit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's why I say it's just so important to not internalize like this any bullshit about not mm-hmm. understanding stuff that is just a lot of times is not well written or unnecessarily yeah. dense. A, a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah. And there's people who like who are who have got their PhDs who are teaching who are still misunderstanding misquoting and misinterpreting shit yes. you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's like don't don't let none of these um highfalutin five dollar word spitting motherfuckers fool you because people Agreed. still you know and people out here making whole careers publishing um hot trash yeah so like also it don't it it's it don't have to be you it could be what you're reading yeah, yeah. so i'm just like just don't internalize that and that's kind of like mm-hmm. the whole game yeah of grad school it's like everybody's supposed to think that they're is, yeah that they're the you know the you know that they're the smartest person in the room yeah. and that they can understand this deep no no yeah. no a lot of motherfuckers don't yeah. understand it 
You know nothing, Jon Snow. No, really. All them all them Jon Snow looking mofos in the class know nothing. They don't. Um also, uh just my last little thing. Something that helps with that and also thinking about, you know, like the passing of Toni Morrison and all of that. Um, you're going to have to read a lot of these, what they call canon or like uh, these classic theorists. These yeah. people, boo, 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 boo. I'm a narrative therapist. So my shit was like Foucault and like David Epstein and Michael uh-huh. White. Blah, blah, blah. No, I, you have to read somebody who wrote about that, that you share some kind of commonality with. Yeah. So like. For me, it was finding women, black folks, uh, folks of color, um, indigenous women who were writing about narrative as transformative, as change, as um, healing. Uh, it's out there, right? And so sometimes it's 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 just a matter of this person's uh, social location is so different from yours, you can't connect to what they're talking about. Yeah. And and so just find a, a author who's writing about that that make that makes it like resonate more with you. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. What strategies and tips do y'all use to try to get through text? Podcasts. Besides the illustrious. Listen to the audio syllabus. I would say insurgent <laughs> audio bi-weekly <laughs> syllabus. All right. So we're going to move it on along to our topic to segment. The topic. And the topic segment is where we talk about something that doesn't fit into the other segments. You so. got to stop doing the topic like that. I know. I be doing the topic dirty, but... Okay, so our topic this week is actually like a um, a mailbag topic. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. So our first uh, mailbag. All right, so Amber writes, I'm a black 40-something, um, just lesbian, <laughs> queer West Indian descent in the UK with a crush on Nikita. I'm loving your podcast. I'm catching up with your back episodes in between new ones. Very funny. You got a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you, Amber. Two questions. One request and an observation. I'm a Virgo. Don't hate the list. Girl. Uh, oh, well, I'm sorry. I don't know. Person. <laughs> These lists be getting me in trouble. We got to stop, Virgos. Okay. One. Have you ever hooked up with each other? What's FWB? Friends with benefits. Oh. I <laughs> it was like from way back. <laughs> Or do you respect your friendship more and won't cross that line? Two, have you considered making a get-together if we are both single by 40 pack? Request, can Nikita sing Luther more? Her singing makes me melt. Observation, Nikita, you as fly as fuck. Money, you cute too, but Nikita floats my boat from head to toolbox. I like the more masculine presenting sensitive type. Thanks, Amber. Oh my God, you flatter me so. And Amber, um, Amber is such a fool. They titled this uh, email "In M Sitting in, in a tree. tree." That is so funny. Wow, wow. So Nikita, um, she she was just uh, obviously tickled by this email because she just got gushed over in it. So you want to start? She's sitting here blushing, y'all. <laughs> Well, grinning like a Cheshire cat. <laughs> okay, well that that is so cute and so sweet, Amber. It's so funny I, when when we saw this, I told money. I was like, I can't believe we haven't gotten this question sooner. I knew somebody was gonna ask. I've eventually. gotten this question in life, in real life. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have not. We have always uh, been pals, been friends. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's about respecting a friendship or anything. Like, I don't think sleeping with friends disrespects 
a friendship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I don't think I would that like has... to have more friends that I sleep with. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't even remember what I was gonna say. Um, okay. <laughs> well, to all of our friends listening, <laughs> money is ready to uh, bust it wide open. <laughs> Um, no, we have all, actually, one of the things, I feel like one of the earliest memories I have of my friendship with money is her having a crush on one of my other friends and me trying to. Why you got to say it like that? Put them, put them together. You didn't try to put us together. I think I did. Did you? I did. Did you? I did. But you like had that crush like almost as soon as you got here. I got, yeah. I'm. (laughs) You are who you are. I am that I am. And. (laughs) I seen her and I wanted her. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. And Nikita was already homies with her. Cause yeah. You were. You, I was new. I was the new uh, Zyke in the. You, you were. Know. You were. So I was kind of popping when I first moved to Syracuse, but now right. I'm old news. You know. Truly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ancient. But she's saying it that way. When I first moved here, um, I also had a soror and dear friend that it was totally obvious that Nikita was into and she was into that is not true nikita that is not true nikita you have to stop that is not how that went nikita and i'm gonna rebuke it nikita refute it nikita rebuke it every single time you want me to say your last name i nikita alizé everybody we hear (laughs) (laughs) the the one of the first times i ever remember hanging out when we went to that karaoke bar oh and she walked in it was like between the two of Nobody you. Nobody even knows what that It was it was like sparks flying was in between it them. Not. It was so obvious. It and my Sora was still pretending that she was straight at the time. She was, was like, pretending. That charade was over very <laughs> quickly. Wow. It's like obvious. So yeah, we were both interested in other people. And Nikita was just like an amazing person when I met her. Y'all, like, she she just made sure I was safe. I got, like, jumped and robbed, like, very quickly after moving to Syracuse. And Nikita just, like, came to my house on her bike in the snow and was just like, girl, you all right? And yeah. I was like, no. And so it was just like, you know, I felt very protective and ride or die for her very quickly. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I feel like there are some friendships where it's like, it kind of starts out and it's like, oh, I don't know. But I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like we've been, like, Staunch homies from day yeah, one. Yeah, I think I felt a lot like I have a um, very dear friend from undergrad, um, Melissa. I felt like y'all were like soul twins, mm. and so yeah, the very first time I met you, it was just like yeah, this 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 is a um this is like one of the great loves of my life, but not a romantic, not a romantic one. one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so, you sometimes you don't get on my nerves. Sometimes. Um, so have we ever considered making uh together if we're both single by forty pack? Uh I don't think no. I believe in those kind of packs. I don't either. Yeah. So um, that's a no. I think communal living, uh, because who knows what rent is gonna be <laughs> by the time we're forty. Yeah, we'll probably all be uh well, living in the bottom of an ocean probably. And climate catastrophe. Also, I'm the only one that's plagued by uh, singleness. Nikita is always booed up. I am not. I'm really yes, honestly not. Is this you? There's like a lot of times where I have significant gaps in between relationships. I can't think of one since I've known you. I was like <laughs> single for like three years after my last relationship, like two or three years. You were dabbling. I was. Oh 
Oh, boy. This is why we're going to have to be best friends for life because one day we're going to have to take you out. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but now, do I feel like you're being um, shy about it. Do you want to uh, break Amber's heart and let them know? Yes, I am. Uh, I was actually telling my girlfriend about it. She was tickled. But I am um, happily in a monogamous relationship. <laughs> so you'll just have to catch me next lifetime, Amber. <laughs> Maybe Thanks. we'll be butterflies. Thanks. That was it. Was a um uh, a question that I think Nikita felt like was long overdue. And like I said, I've been asked this in like person. Like people have asked me, like, has there ever been something between you and Nikita? I'm like, no. No one has ever asked me that. I think, I think it's masculinity. There's one one person. It was actually our close friend Seth asked when we, but that was like when we first. When you first came to town, you know, Seth is messy. Seth thought I was fucking everybody when he I was first moved here. He was like, oh, what's going on with you with that new date? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, it was, I think it was like after the first fusion. He was like, oh, you know, it's a new black lesbian. And so I was oh my gosh. <laughs> he was always talking about a new black lesbian. He is such a fool. I couldn't be standing next to nobody and right. Seth thought something was popping. So. But that was the only time anybody had ever asked that was, and again, that was and That was like five, six yeah, years ago. I, I don't yeah. think anyone has asked me since. Wow. Um, I do think it's masculinity, though. Because, like, most of the people that I have, like, entertained or dated since yeah. have asked me about you. And I think it's because oh, I you, see. They're you're like, masculine presenting. And they think that there's going to be. Yeah, we're yeah. both gay. Like, why not? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's not how gay works. It's not. Um, so, yeah. We've never been together. All right. Much to so, money's loss. <laughs> <laughs> Dare to dream. Isn't that <laughs> wow. It would clearly be your loss. And everyone else is out there who is doing Okay. This. this is not the Curb Chronicle money. <laughs> Try to keep your shit together, please. <laughs> All right. Nikita, we got another question. Okay. So we're going to call this uh, person Daffodil. Daffodil writes, hi, y'all. I have been thinking a lot about this for a while, and I am almost sure it has not been talked about before, but I have not listened to the last two episodes. If you have, disregard this. We haven't. The topic is age gaps in relationships, but more specifically in queer ones, all type of queer relationships, but mostly romantic or sexual. I feel like I haven't been able to talk a lot about this as much as I would like to. I sometimes think people get weirded out If I point out age differences that to me do not seem healthy or safe. Like let's say someone is 31 years old and the other person is 22 years old. Or even 35 years old and the other person is 27 years old. Well let me know what you think, Daffodil. Okay. So this is so funny because I have been begging money to talk about this for a long time. But we know that money calls the shots here. I'm just a peasant. We do what she wants. I just thought it was timely now with, like, you know, the episode of Pose, Pray Tell, and Ricky. Oh, touche. Um, and I felt like it right now. So, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. That was my point. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts on age gaps, which is why I've been wanting to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess first and foremost, I mean, I feel like people should always try to be upfront about uh, this because I think it's also the case for, I mean, a lot of other topics. But 
my view on age gaps is so much shaped by my own personal experiences. So I just want to go ahead and say that up front. I think that's the case for a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think people always articulate that. And I think a lot of times people try to dress up things in like particular kind of political language Mm -hmm. or make some kind of generalized principle about it. I mean, there are some like basic principles (laughs) we share, but um, I think it's just better to be upfront to say, you know, my personal experiences shape how I view, I mean, to be frank, other people's relationships. Mm -hmm, You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so I feel like I've had a very weird thing about age gaps since I was a teenager and by like young. Same. Because I remember being in the eighth grade and one of my um, friends, I feel like a couple of my friends when I was in the eighth grade were like interested in or not even just interested in, uh, I'll talk more about that later, but like, I think in one case, there was, like, one of my friends in the eighth grade was dating a 10th grader. And I'm just... And even at that age, so at, like, 12 or 13, I'm like, a 10th grader don't have no business talking to no eighth grader. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'll get more into it later, but I just feel like specific kinds... I'll say this, age gaps at specific ages at specific ages freak me out. Same, same. I think the, teen, the teen age the years 20s. and the 20s, yeah. It's just... I'm just like, it's just something weird about it yeah. to me. So, like, so, like, these examples. So, I'm like, I don't, I'm like, whatever about, like, a 35, not whatever, actually. So, like, 35 and 27. I'm like, I'm like, that's, you know, I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine being 35 dating a 27-year-old. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that, I'm not, like, alarmed by that. Because it doesn't seem like a different station in life. Right. So that's, yeah, so, uh, and 27, that's, 35 to me is not a... So I want to mm-hmm. come back, so I really want to talk about this thing. So this is where I say that it's based on my a lot of my own personal experiences, not just like even being in the eighth grade thinking, mm, what in the hell is a 10th mm-hmm. grader doing like an eighth grader? But also, um, uh, well, just kind of on a side note about being young, it's, like, it's also just being, um, a, being a young girl in society and just dealing with like pervy old men. Nikita... This informed my idea about age and relationships more than anything else. Right. And so, and like being, and having the particular kind of body that I've had my whole entire life. So Mm -hmm. it's like heavy chested Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, and hearing like grown men comment on my body or Mm -hmm. just like, just like try to like flirt with me. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. sir, you're 20 something. I'm obviously 14, 15. This is fucking disgusting. I wore uniform most of my K through 12. Yeah. And so to have like grown men try to talk to me and I'm in uniform. Yeah. So it's like, I have been the same height since fourth grade, but it's like, you can clearly look at me and tell that I'm a kid. Yeah. Cause I'm wearing PS 48. Right. And you just, and you just, and then I'm like, this is gross. This is gross. And I also, to go back to the experience thing, so, like, um, in Daffodil's example of, like, the the 22-year-old and the 31-year-old, I just think about myself. <laughs> it's like, 30-year-old Nikita I, I, is a very different kind of yeah. bitch than 22-year-old Nikita. Same. And so Same. I just could not imagine entertaining... In any form, in any kind of sexual or romantic way, mm-hmm. being a 22, being yeah. with or b- being attracted to a 22-year-old. Because mm-hmm. it's like, and again, so it's, again, I know this is based on my own experiences, but it's like, I am far, money money can tell you firsthand, I, Nikita, 30-year-old Nikita is ready to argue, fight, and beat anybody's ass. 
curb stomp. Curb stomp. what you've been saying. And it's like, and again, like in some like major ways, like in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, I'm still like the nerdy whatever, whatever, but I have just fundamentally grown and I think especially in the matter of being assertive and not taking any bullshit. Yeah. And so, and again, I know, so, I mean, there's some 22-year-olds, you know, who probably can whoop a motherfucker's ass and still be assertive and like, ba 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 down the line. But I'm just like, I just, mm-hmm. I I just feel like in those eight, eight, nine years, I'm just like a dramatically yeah. different person. So yeah. I just could not imagine dating somebody, to your point, a minute ago, who was, who was at that particular station in mm-hmm. life. Not even necessarily about... I was going to say it's not necessarily about age, but for me it is. And, like, mm-hmm. maybe I have a certain kind of, I mean, well, I guess before I, I think one of the things where I try to, like, think about this is that, like, I was also, when I was 22, I was graduating college. So, and my, and being around, like, a university and still, like, mildly around universities, like, that's my kind of, and I know all, of course, 22-year-olds, you know, aren't going to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to college, but that's my reference point for seeing a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. That and, like, organizing. yeah. And, and then I was just thinking about when we went to Colgate um, at the earlier part of the year, I was just, like, when yeah. we were looking in that audience. I was like, these are children. I was like, these look like high school students. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just, I just. But they were like 21. They're like 21, yeah. 22, 23. And yeah. I'm just like, and so it's not even, so it's not even about. You on, know when I, I'm sorry, I'll cut you off. I was just going to say, it's not even about on some level. Like, where they are in life and how they're thinking and how they're developing to who they're, you know, going to be, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just like, just on the physical thing alone, mm-hmm. I'm like, they look like babies. Yeah. They look like kids. Yeah, they did. Some of the jokes that we were cracking, they didn't get. Because the references were and that, The references, yeah. I'm yeah. like, you don't get when I was like... Nikita, you're out of my top eight. Because you never had you a never, MySpace page. No, 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 it's like, you don't, right. you don't know. Like, you don't, you will never know the drama and the beef of showing up to school after you move somebody from, from one, their, from one right. to, like, eight. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> you won't know that. And I think, um, like, even those little things, like, uh, they just make a difference. Yeah. Like, and you can't get my humor because of an age gap. Right. Yeah. Because, like, I've heard people come back and be like, um, and I guess this is kind of the the like the next thing that I wanted to say is that because um, I have I have friends and I know people who are like well when I was like I've been in like sexual relationships or romantic relationships with people significantly older than me in my late teens and early twenties and like I felt that I had agency and I felt good about that and so I I don't doubt them at all and I'm mm-hmm. like I'm not particularly interested in like pathologizing young people and even the desire like it make it makes sense it makes on behalf sense. Yes. of the young person yeah. so I'm like it always makes sense for a younger person to want to be with an older right. person yeah and, but it's so it's like in those so I and I like I don't think that those people are delusional about their experiences no. but I just it just I'm and like this is where I just have to like I just have to be honest where I just feel like I'm always side eyeing like the older the person. older person yes Cause I'm yes. just kind of like, like, yeah. I, what is you doing, baby? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I agree. Um, I never, I never feel no kind of way about the younger person in a situation because uh, when I say like it, it like a younger person's gonna always like. Um, I'm thinking about high school too. Like my high school experiences, having like homegirls who 
were like talking to dudes that were like 24, 28. And yeah. we're, we're in high school. We're like right. 16, 17. Right. They got cars. They could pay for you to go. You know, right. it's like, this makes sense that like as a 16, 17 year old, you will want to be with somebody who has right. access, money, right. all this stuff. Um, who nobody else in school can't talk to because they're not right. there, you know? But it's like, as a 24, 28-year-old, you feel comfortable you so, you don't have driving no up to the high school to pick up your girlfriend? Right. Outside and, of it being illegal, it's just like, I'm side-eyeing you. And so, but so even like, not even like 28 and 17, because that, that to me is like roundly disgusting. Mm-hmm. But even like a 17-year-old talking to a 22-year-old. I'm yeah. just like, so again, five years in and of itself, yeah. like, you know, 25 and 30, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. But 17 and 22, I'm like, yeah, it's just, and again, to me, I, again, for me, it just goes back to like station in life. Yeah. I'm like, I just, again, I, I just, I just mm-hmm. feel like, again, personally, I just feel like at like, between like 18 or between like 16 and like 25, I feel like a year in each year between those ages feels like dramatically different. It's person. very different. Yeah. 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 And so, and it's interesting. And I, and I, this goes back to what you and I have both said. Cause it's like in these examples that we're giving, we're talking about young, like particularly like young girls mm-hmm. and like older men. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was trying to look some of this stuff up. It was hard for me um, to find, like, any, like, relevant, um, like, information. But I did see that there was a poll in 2013, and it said that this study, I mean, this they used this um, as a demographic category, not us, so it's kind of silly. But they said that LGBT people, and, like, the article I read was, like, they probably were actually interviewing, like, lesbians and gay men. So it's yeah. like, um, you have to take the take it with a grain of salt but they were like um the lgbt folks were um responded higher like significantly higher in being attracted to or saying that they would be okay in being in a relationship like 10 years their senior mm-hmm. and um and i was trying to think about like does like putting a queer lens on it change things for me i, I like personally i just i just don't think so no um or so it's what so i wanted to think ask how do we personally feel about it and why do you think that is the case why i think that queer folks reported like overwhelmingly high um i think for the same reasons that it makes sense for a younger person to want to be with an older person um institutional access stability like needing the concrete things for for like safety and survival Mm. like somebody older is like more established and can like provide more Mm -hmm. um i think that is a reality of relationships Mm. um i think also maybe i'm just you know super rose colored glasses about the queer community but i think we interrogate desire a lot more of like why is it that i like this thing Uh uh-huh and so, like that, I think that that like frees up a lot of the bullshit. So that's what that's what one of the articles I read. That's mm-hmm. what they were saying. Yeah, I think those things, but I still don't think it changes like how I feel. Like I was, I'm, I'm like never, <laughs> never like, oh, you go, girl. When I see like a, a really young, um, queer person with a uh, another queer person that's a lot older than them. Yeah, I mean, it so. I mean, one of the things that I, one of the articles I was looking at made, um, they were kind of making an interesting point talking about um, some white celebrities who I don't know about, but they were like, 
you know, there was an actor who was like 40 and his wife was like 23 and they were plastered over the cover of some magazine that was like, you know, one of like, you know, amazing hot couple or something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. But then there was like, I don't remember the names. Uh, Again, all these people were white, so I don't remember them. Um, (laughs) But it was like. Some like older you gay don't retain man, white names, basically. <laughs> but anyway, it was like the, it was like this sixty-something-year-old gay man who was dating a like a twenty-seven-year-old man, and like all the papers were like playing on these tropes about this, you know, this long-standing trope about particularly like, gay men being like pedophiles. Mm-hmm. And like, first of all, like twenty-seven, like this, this person's not a kid. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like the way that these and and then in articles like the older man's like young boyfriend was referred to as like a boy toy and just mm-hmm. all this like fucked up shit in a way that you know like oh I think the, the male the straight male actor was Bradley Cooper and his little um whatever his um wife or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about the, like the discrepancy and mm-hmm. how certain kind of relationships are talked about and I think more importantly I guess to like kind of like even what we're getting out through our examples is like one is more like normalized in society but I feel like I'm just like particularly so in terms of like you know like most I think as a society people expect older men men Mm -hmm. to be with like younger women so there's like a gender element is what you're saying yeah so like an older woman with a younger man nobody is, is really nobody is a lot of people that's, I don't feel like people think that that is common and people aren't as... So, like, Janet Mock and Lil Poppy. Yeah. And then, also, they were talking about how you hardly ever see any, like, the age gaps between, like, queer women. And remember, what's the, uh, that American Horror Story lady? Sarah Paulson was dating mm-hmm. that woman who was, like, 30 years older than her. And yeah. everybody's like, what in the fuck is going <laughs> Like, people had a conniption fit. Yeah. And I think that's also very much gender because it's like, of course, as a as an old rag, who would be interested exactly. in you? That's the subtext, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, for women, it's like, oh, you hit a certain age and, like... Nobody who, would, who yeah, would want you. That, which is another... This goes back to, like, the first letter we read about, like, if you're not partnered by 40... You might as well just throw yourself away because yeah. nobody's going to want you yeah. as a woman. It's like, yeah. mm, no, right. not really. Yeah. But so it's like, I understand that these different relationships are, you know, shaped by like gender, race, right. and like queerness. And so I think it's important to talk about that. But it's like still on the whole, it's just like, I just, I do bristle at it because it's yeah. like kind of what you were, to me, it goes back to what you were um or something that we talk about all the time is like I just don't think that desire is some free floating thing. Yes. And so like I just like it just it's strange to me that people don't think that you know that this the ideas around like youth and age wouldn't shape like our our ideas or who we're attracted to. Of and like course. and something that like I'm trying I'm not gonna rant about it, but something that like really grinds my gears is like, you know, the so called like Mactivist and I'm like I feel like I've been or even in like organizing spaces where it's like some man who's like thirty something like, you know, late thirties, early forties trying to flit around with some like little young nineteen, twenty or like twenty something. Yeah. And I'm just like you you mean to tell me you can think critically about all these other issues, but all of a sudden you know, it's just kind of like, well, you know, you're just attracted to who mm-hmm. you're attracted to. And I think that's the thing that kind of um, bristles me. Because yeah. I think that, like, a lot of us who are, um, who think critically about, 
you know, we like we understand like Eurocentric beauty standards and all mm-hmm. that other kind of stuff, mm-hmm. shapes, desire. But it's like, oh, love is love. You just you don't know where it's gonna come from. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, I, I don't actually think that. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, we just met. I mean, that might be the case for like point zero 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 five percent of the population, but sure. I just don't think that it's just like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is age, just like everything else, um, every other aspect of identity when it comes to desire is like shaped and informed yeah. by society. Yeah. Right. And and and, 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 and hegemonic can... ideas around age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have we have already. That's I mean, that's kind of how we started out the conversation. It's like our you know, our, us being young people at a particular time, yeah. being girls, being black girls, being exactly, queer, exactly. shaped how that we're shaped already how, approaching yeah, yeah, yeah. this conversation. Yep. So. And I think also, like, I'm the product of a very huge age gap. And I just saw the way that played out and I just did not like it still till today. I think mm-hmm. that it was, like, abusive. Right. Um, and... Yeah, so every, I mean, ever since I, like, was consciously aware of how big of an age difference was between my parents, I felt a weird way about age gaps in relationships. And I think also, like, for me, for me as a queer woman, like, I look at younger women and I can tell that they're really young. So it, 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 like, turns my stomach and it bothers me when, like, Either, like, guys who date women or, like, other queer women who date women will be like, um, I ain't know how old she was. Like, yes, you did. I don't believe that Look shit at for her. a fucking second. Look at her. I hate this. Look at her. I hate this so much. Um, and I have younger siblings. I have two younger sisters. And that also really informs the way I think about mm, age and dating. Yeah. So, like, my youngest sister is six years younger than me. And so, dating someone, the youngest person... The person who was the youngest than me that I've dated was four years younger than me. And I felt like I was dating a child because yeah. they were so close in age to my baby sister. Yeah. In, in reality, we're both 20-somethings. Yeah. It wasn't that big of an age gap, but it felt it to me because of my relationship with my baby Your sister. sister. Absolutely. And so, yeah. I was just thinking I that. I have a 210 rule, kind of. What's the 210? I don't date anybody two years younger than me. More than two years younger than me. And nobody and more than 10. More than 10 years older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the the biggest age gap I've had was three years. And even that felt, um, it felt pronounced. Yeah. I think I was like, uh, I was older. And there was like, mm-hmm. and she had remarked on it too. Like there was like, I would, I would be making, and you figure like three years is not, Huge, but I would be making, mm-hmm. like, cultural references. And she was like, mm, don't get that. Well, because you're three years older and you're also, like, 70 in, real in life. spirit years. Yeah, yeah so. Um, so yeah. It probably felt like a 30-year age gap. I uh, probably actually felt like a millennium. <laughs> because you're only you're only a year older than me. And, yeah. Nikita, it feels like you <laughs> okay. are. Okay, okay. <laughs> significantly older. Okay, simmer down. Yeah. Um, so, that's what I think. I think as far as like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, map my expectations for relationships onto other people. Absolutely, like this is how I feel about same, it. Same, same. Um, I do side eye, but same. I keep that to myself. I keep it to myself. I'm not, right. I'm not going, you know, drag nobody. Publicly I mean, unless about there's something love. that I'm like, oh god, this is something that's like really fucked up and terrible. I mean, oh, but of course, even beyond age gap, you know, if that was the case, I'd right, be like, right, right, right. This, this shit is a fucking disaster. You gotta yeah. get out of it, but. Like, I can't, yeah, I do want to be honest about the fact that I'd be like, what in the fuck? 
What you doing with that child? Right. Like, if one of my, like, I feel like if, if I had a close friend that was, um, like, 35 or something, dating some little 20-year-old, I'm like, now what? But see, I think that's because uh, we, we appreciate the 25-year-old or the 20-something also as, like, a whole person who deserves to have life experiences. Because I think that some people, it's their friend, and they just like, oh, that's my friend. They getting, they, yeah. you know, they happy, whatever, whatever. But I'm like, yeah, but this 20-something... I don't, yeah, I would just be like, what, what is going on? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. And in the same way you were talking about, like, desires not being outside of society, like, neither are relationships. Yeah. And so I think uh, when you have a relationship formation that's, like, set up for, like, these imbalances of power, like, you constantly have to be checking that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Touché, so touché. whether that's, like, huge gaps in, like, income or huge mm. gaps in age. It's Touché. like, you gotta be, yeah, you gotta be checking your, your yeah. friends. Yeah. All right, y'all. So our final segment is Curved Chronicles. And this is a segment where we share or you share a dating woe or win mm-hmm. with us. And Money, do you have a Curved Chronicle? I don't. Oh, man. Yeah. My dating life has been as anticlimactic as the Hot Girl Summer song. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Why is Ty Dolla Signs on that song? Who asked him to do that? That's just so antithetical to Hot Girl Summer. It really is. Anyway, um, I don't... I thought I had one, but I don't. I don't have any Curved Chronicles. Yeah. I've just been chilling, you know. I've been... uh, My dissertation has been curving me. But, um, yeah, you're just like so I'm close gonna... to finishing. Everybody keeps saying that, and I've, I feel, oh my gosh, you're like, you have just a conclusion to do. I know I'm gonna finish because it doesn't make sense to quit. Absolutely. Oh but, my god, um, I'm tired. That's okay to be, that's okay to be tired. <laughs> yeah, so mm-hmm, you, that's you've it. You've been busy, you've done a whole bunch of shit on yeah. that dissertation. You cranked that thing out. I really did. So, I'm so proud of you. I'm really impressed. Thanks, Nikita. Now let's hope someone hires me to work at their university and or college. <laughs> All right. So wow. if y'all have a Curved Chronicle, which is a dating woe or when or a question for us in the Curved Chronicle, yeah. you can send it to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com or you can DM us at QueerWalkPod. But other than that, we can't wait to see y'all at the Upstate Escape. Absolutely. Yes. And make sure to follow us. Uh, on all the things. All the things. Yes. This is Money, the menstrual cup collector. And this is Nikita, the cookout cutie. And you just listened to Queer Walk, the podcast. With editing support from our fucking selves. This podcast was edited, produced, and researched by Money and Nikita. With spiritual support from <laughs> the Batty Brigade. <laughs> Shit out. <laughs> <Get> out. <laughs>